Ann and I love to go to the beach. We find it so fun. We find it so relaxing. One of our first and most memorable weekends early in our dating relationship was a double date at the beach. I proposed to Ann on the beach. And I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and every couple years together with Ann's family, we rent a beach house together for a week. And at the end of the week, we always say we don't want to go home. We say, let's just buy a house at the beach and live here forever. But then we remind each other of today's passage and the little song which was inspired by it. Don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. Well, it might be kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice. You'll have to build your house once more. And so we come home to the hills, to the highlands. Cheryl, can we have that slide? Because every time a big hurricane comes through, right, we're reminded of the danger, of the tragedy of building on the sand. And that's what today's passage is about. In the case of Jesus, he, he's not talking about the beach, though. He, he's a Jew, and at that time they were uh, people of the hills. You can take that down. Um, they, they lived in the arid hills of Palestine, dry and sandy much of the year, except during the heavy spring rains when water would quickly fill up the wadis, the, the ravines, the gullies between the hills, and you'd get torrential flash floods. These riverbeds, which were dry most of the year, would become raging rivers. And so Jesus tells a story here, most likely, of two guys who built in these hills near a wadi, one built on the sand, and the other built on a rocky place that he found. And then the rains fell. And some translations say the floods came, but this Greek word translated flood is, is more often translated river or, or torrent. It likely refers to these seasonal flash flood torrents, which, which would tear through the, the wadis, the dry riverbeds of Palestine, destroying whatever was not anchored down in their path. And so Jesus says of the house built on the sand, it fell and great was its fall. You don't want this to happen to your family home, right? But of course, Jesus is using this as a metaphor for our life. You don't want this to happen to your life. You don't want your life to end in, in destruction, in devastation, as a heap of matchsticks. I don't. You don't, right? <laughs> right. So Jesus says... Be wise or be shrewd, as Paul DeVries suggested it could be translated last week. Learn the lesson of the wise and the foolish builders. Both built houses. Both faced rains and winds and torrents. But only one had a house which stood firm, a life which stood firm when it was tested. He was wise while the other builder was foolish. So don't be the foolish guy, Jesus says. All right, well, let's unpack this parable. We, we, uh, uh, we want to really take it in and, and hear what Jesus is saying here to us. This is how Jesus 
it ends the Sermon on the Mount. This is the end, folks. <laughs> we, we finished this sermon that we've been in since last fall, this morning. This amazing sermon that we've been looking at. And we saw beginning two weeks ago, as Jesus began to bring his sermon to a close, he issued an appeal, an appeal for us to respond to what he'd said. And he brought this appeal home in a few different ways. First, two weeks ago, we saw in verses 13 and 14 that Jesus challenged us to choose which path we'll take. The narrow way of life or the broad way which leads to destruction. And then we saw last week, second, in verses 15 to 23, that Jesus warns us that we can be like two kinds of trees. Bad trees that produce bad fruit or good trees that bear good fruit. And the bad trees, of course, since they don't produce anything edible, they're just using the nutrients in the soil. What do you do at that time if if you live back then and you're trying to sustain your life? Well, the bad trees, you cut them down and you use them for firewood. They get consumed. They get destroyed in the fire. They're not producing any edible fruit. And now, third, in today's passage, Jesus drives home one final time the same appeal by describing two builders who build houses. And what's different between these two builders and the houses they build and the lives which those houses represent? What causes one to live and to stand and the other to fall and be destroyed? Well, before we look at what's different, let's look at what's the same. Look at what's the same. Notice that both builders and the houses they build face storms. They face rain and wind and flood. And Jesus doesn't tell us specifically what these storms represent. Are they the storms of life? Are they the the trials and the struggles that come our way as we live our lives? Or are they something bigger, something more ultimate, more final than that? Do the storms represent the final testing of our life and, and our final fate? Well, while this passage certainly applies to the storms we go through in life, it's talking about more than that as well. Let me remind us why. Because of what Jesus has already just said about the two paths and about the two kinds of trees which set us up for the two builders and the two houses. What did Jesus say about the two paths? He said, one leads to life and the other to destruction. And what did he say about the two trees? He said, One bears fruit, and the other is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is more than about weathering the storms of life. This is about an ultimate destiny that Jesus is talking about here. An ultimate storm, an ultimate testing, which our life will face, and whether it stands or falls, will have ultimate consequences for us. And so Jesus is saying for both types of people, the wise and the foolish, our life will be tested in this life and more importantly, at the end of this life. And so the first similarity between both builders and houses in the parable is that they both face the storms of life and the ultimate testing which leads to ultimate consequences. Notice also a second similarity between the two builders. Both of these builders 
represent people who hear Jesus' words. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. Notice both builders, both types of people hear Jesus' words. Both types of people are sitting on the mountainside that day with Jesus when he first delivers the Sermon on the Mount. Both types of people have potentially been sitting in church these past months as we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Both types of people hear Jesus' words. The wise builder and the foolish builder both hear what Jesus has to say. You can hear Jesus' words and wind up a fool. Or you can hear Jesus' words and grow wise. So what makes the difference between the wise and the foolish builders? Well, it's not whether you hear Jesus' words. Whether you study them, whether you read them, whether you go to Bible study, whether you listen to sermons about them. It's not that. No, what makes the difference is what you do about them. What you do in response to them. Both builders hear Jesus' words. But only one puts what he hears into practice. Both hear Jesus' words. And the wise man builds his life on that rock, on that solid foundation. While the foolish person hears, but doesn't put what he hears into practice. And so Jesus says, he builds his house on sand instead. Do you hear the message? Do you hear Jesus' warning? No wonder at the end of the sermon, the crowds were amazed and astounded. No wonder they said, this man speaks with authority. I mean, who says, listen up, I'm going to tell you something. And if you listen and you do what I say, you're wise and your life will stand forever. But if you don't, if you don't listen to what I say, you don't put it into practice, you're a fool and your life will end in destruction. That's bold, right? (laughs) Who talks like that? Jesus speaks with authority here. He claims that his words and what we do with them will have ultimate consequences for our lives. And, And Jesus tells us this not just once in the Sermon on the Mount, but Three times at the end of his sermon, he challenges us that there are two paths we can take. There are two kinds of trees we can be like. There are two sorts of foundations we can build upon. And we have a choice. We can take path A or path B. We can be like tree A or we can be like tree B. We can build our house like builder A or like builder B. What we do about what we've heard in the Sermon on the Mount matters immensely, ultimately. Here's what concerns me about today's passage. When we get past the cute children's song about the sandy land, and and we take in what this passage is actually saying, it's saying a lot of us may be headed for destruction if we don't change course. 
Why? Because it's very common in churches to listen politely to to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and, and then say, well, that's too hard. That's for missionaries or super Christians or I, I don't know, but it's not for me. I mean, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Lend without expecting to get back what you lent. That's too idealistic. It's, it's too impractical. The real world doesn't work that way. Let, let me keep reading the Bible and find something else that I can focus on, which I can relate to a bit better, which is practical. No, Jesus says, don't hear my words here and skip past them. That's foolish. That will ultimately lead to destruction. Back up, read it again, and put my words into practice. Put the Sermon on the Mount into practice. Do it. Because it's not the fact that you sit here and you listen to my words and, and you think about them that does the trick, that makes the difference. No, it's whether you do what I say. If you do not put into practice the Sermon on the Mount, you are a fool, Jesus says. You're building your life on sand. And ultimately you will be destroyed. Is that too strong? It is what Jesus says. He's speaking with authority here, which is why the crowds are astounded. Jesus knows the stakes are high, and he loves us too much to not warn us about how we're going to live our lives, who we're going to follow. But but question, I thought we were saved by grace. Didn't Jesus die for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God and accepted into God's family and into eternal life? Aren't we saved by what Jesus did and not by what we do? And, and so we're, we're forgiven and we're saved by grace? Well, yeah, of course. Of course. If we put our faith in Jesus, right? If we trust in Jesus, if we believe in Jesus, which Jesus? Which Jesus? The same Jesus who gives us the Sermon on the Mount. So so here at the end of his sermon, Jesus is saying, all right, I've laid out my vision. I've laid out the way of my kingdom. We saw back in the Beatitudes, the good life, the way to a life which flourishes. The way which is ultimately going to bring the kingdom of God, which is going to fix all that's badly broken in this world. I've laid it all out. Do you trust me? Do, Do you still believe in me? I've played my cards. Do you still have faith in me? If you do, then don't just listen to what I say and say, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) No, that's not faith. That's not trust. No, if you trust me, then you will do, you'll put into practice what I've said here. You'll live this way. You'll follow me because you trust me. So Jesus is saying, this is the way of salvation. This is the way I'm leading you in as you walk the path of salvation. This is the way my path goes. This is the way my kingdom comes. It's spelled out in the sermon. Will you follow my path? Will you put your faith in me? If you will, 
then do what I say. You may know the name Scott McKnight. He's a New Testament scholar. He is a popular author of the book uh, Blue Parakeet. Um, he's a popular blog called Jesus Creed. And he tells a story about what it means to put our faith in Jesus. In graduate school, he worked at a warehouse, and a fellow worker of his named Mark spent his weekends parachuting, skydiving. And, and McKnight recounts, Mark came in on Monday with stories And we all sat on the edge of our seats listening to them. And I became interested in parachuting. He began to explain how it worked, where the airport was, what days they jumped, what the price was, what the air felt like. And as my imagination got into it, what I would see, what I would need to wear, and so forth. He also gave ample statistics, as he called them, on safety. I grew more interested as I became more convinced of the safety. I decided I'd try it. So then one day, after explaining it all again, Mark said, we're going tomorrow. You want to go? I was confronted with a decision, McKnight recounts. I was mentally persuaded it was safe, and I knew it would be cool, but my body wasn't cooperating with my mind. (laughs) My answer, no, I am not getting on the plane. (laughs) What Mark called me is not repeatable here, but you get the point. Chicken, yeah. I'm sure that was it. Well, folks, that is where we're at in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've read it, you know that doing it in places, putting it into practice, sort of feels like jumping out of an airplane. Jesus is saying here, if you say you believe me, If you say you have faith in me, it's time to jump with me. Don't just listen to my words or or you'll wind up a fool and your end will be destruction. No, rather put my words into practice. Trust me. Trust my words. If you put them into practice, they will lead you to life. Here's how you find life, Jesus says. Follow me. Live out my words. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Put it into practice. Don't worry. I'll help you when you mess up. I'll forgive you. But my salvation is for those who jump, not for those who stay on the ground. Do you trust me? So here's the danger for us, that we settle for just continuing to read and continuing to study. That's spiritual, right? To to be a man of the word, to be a woman of the word. And and people say, look how they know their Bibles. They can quote it. They understand so much. And so we develop church cultures where the expectation is that that we read our Bible, we we, we learn it, we, we study it together, but putting it into practice, well, some of that is optional. You know where that comes from? Not from the Bible, not from Jesus. It actually comes from Gnosticism, a pagan philosophy. Gnosticism taught that salvation is found in knowledge. That, that knowing the right doctrines and teachings allows us to escape from this world to a better one. And, and in the early centuries after Jesus, Gnosticism began to seep into the church. And a Christian version of Gnosticism developed. 
And it taught that if you study, if you read, if you know about Jesus, you can escape this world for heaven when you die. And so faith got transformed from meaning that you actually trust Jesus and follow him and demonstrate that trust by doing what he says because you believe he's wise and he's the savior and he knows the way to live in this world and the way to salvation. Instead of that, faith got transformed into just agreeing in your mind with what Jesus says. No, Jesus says, don't redefine faith. That's not faith. To trust me involves doing what I say. Not just to hear my words, but to put them into practice. That's where wisdom is found. Wisdom is putting my teaching into practice. It's following me with your feet, with your whole self, not just with your brain. Remember, I've shared this before, how John Wimber used to put it. The meat is in the street. The the nourishment in God's word, the life-giving, life-transforming power of God's word is found not just in reading it and studying it, but in living it and doing it and practicing it. The meat is in the street. Anything else, Jesus says, is fooling yourself and building a nice, pretty house, which when tested in the end will wind up a pile of sticks. So let's at least be honest with Jesus. Maybe you don't believe him. Maybe you think he's he's foolish. He's impractical. He's idealistic. Fine. Find a different religion or, or a different philosophy or whatever. Take another path. But don't pretend you're walking with Jesus on his path if you won't put his words into practice. There are churches that will do that. They'll say, it's okay to believe in Jesus in your head and in your heart, but, but you don't really have to live out or follow what Jesus says, at least the parts you don't like. You can skip those. I'm sorry, but Jesus disagrees. The narrow path, Jesus' narrow path, is very clear. It involves trusting Jesus enough to put what he says into practice. Not perfectly, not without failing along the way, There's heaps of grace for those who try. Jesus will work with us. He'll be patient with us. He'll he'll help us. And bit by bit, he'll transform our hearts to better enable us to walk this way. But we've got to take steps of faith. We've got to walk with Jesus in faith. Let me close with this story. I I grew up in church, but but as a kid, I I waited a long time to, to make a decision to follow Jesus. You know why? Because I knew it was hard. I knew Jesus demands everything. And I knew I wasn't ready for that sort of commitment. Well, eventually in college, I met some friends whose lives inspired me because they were putting Jesus' teaching into practice. And as a result, they had a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And and they were full of life. And their lives inspired me to jump out of the plane, so to speak. To put my trust in Jesus and to start letting him tell me how to live. And guess what I discovered after the fact, after I jumped? That I hadn't needed to wait so long. I waited because I didn't think I could do it. I, 
it, it seemed too hard for me to follow Jesus. But what I learned was, I didn't have to do it by myself in the first place. Because when Jesus came into my life, he was going to change my life anyway. To give me a new heart. To give me a heart which wanted. A heart which, which would be able to follow him. He gave me, when he came into my life, a desire to follow him. A desire to trust him. A desire to put him first. And so whatever I was afraid I'd lose or, or have to give up, Jesus has given me better. He's taken care of me. He's given me peace. He's given me joy. He's given me hope and love and life and purpose. I hope you'll choose the same. In fact, as we close, that's what I want to invite us to do in response. As we're getting ready to sing the closing song and the band can start coming up if they want. If, if you build your house on the rock, if you want to build your house on the rock, if you want to uh, put Jesus' words into practice, then I want to invite you to think, and Rachel, actually, we're going to need to come through here to respond. Is there any way you could slide over by the piano? Awesome. Thank you. So um, if, if you want to build on the rock and put Jesus' words into practice, I want to invite you to to think, to listen, to reflect and to say, what's the next step? What's the thing that God is prompting me to do? What practically do you, do you need to do to trust Jesus, to, to express your faith in Jesus? What, what practical way do you need to put his word into practice? I can't tell you what that is. Only God can tell you as you listen for, for his voice. We have a number of rocks up here. And what I'd like to invite you to do is to grab a Sharpie. There's some pens over there. And to write a word or phrase which represents that thing that is the next step for you. And to write it on the rock. And then to build your life on the rock. So if you'd like to respond in that way as we sing the closing song, I invite you to do that.